Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to uh, Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. And uh, that's where we're going to be. Good to have you here. Let me, uh, Randy, can you help me out here and uh, hand these out? If you can put uh, one of these to every table. Justine, you got to get in there. you got to help them. Give them some African wisdom there. Nigerian. Are you guys done? Maybe. Maybe. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, what I like about this table, they created their own unique kind of turning point chart. I like that. You got some creativity. All right. So what do we got here? Moses' life, it's divided up in how many periods? 40. And I don't care if you put this at the top or the bottom. It doesn't matter. Okay. What's the first 40 years? What was he? Prince in Egypt, right? All right. What about the next 40? Shepherd in the wilderness. Okay, wild. Okay, what about the last 40? Prophet on mission. Excellent. Okay, what what did he learn from being a prince in Egypt? What was the result of that? Proud and what? Proud and self-sufficient. What about 40 years in the wilderness? What does that do to you? No. No? Humble. Humble. Yes, humble. What happens when God calls you? What should you be? Faithful. Yes, yes. Wonderful. Okay. And then what, uh, I don't know, what else, what else do I have in there? Uh, what's the turning point? What was the turning point from here to here? Murder, yeah. What was the turning point from here to here? The burning bush, right? And Murder. This was bad. All right, good. And then what's the turning point at the end of his life, or not so much the end of his life, but the end of Exodus, what was the last thing? The indwelling indwelling of the Holy Spirit in what? In the tabernacle, right? God had given him all the instructions for the tabernacle. Okay, I think that's it. Is that everything? Yeah, we covered it. Way to go. Yeah, give yourself a hand. These guys turned the turning point ones up this way. That was cool. Yeah, that was just good. Whose idea was that? Jeremy. Way to go, Jeremy. I like that. All right, good. Well, you got an idea. There's your overview, the valleys and the mountains. But here's what we want to do. We want to zoom in on these same three sections again today. But we're going to look a little more at these ideas of what did Moses learn in each of these segments and how that relates to the question of who am I? Now, listen. You look at all where he lived. You look at all the roles he had. Is there any question that he's not asking, who am I? As I thought about this some more this week, I'm just, this really captured me at camp and, and just thinking about it. This guy, Moses, was born into slavery. He was given up at birth by his birth mother in order to save him. He was adopted by a mother in another ethnic group. He was nursed. By his birth mother, he was reunited with her, educated by his adopted mother in a totally different culture, lived a privileged life of wealth, 
but was rejected by the people in both cultures. You know, when he murdered the Egyptian, the Egyptians rejected him. And when he tried to help his people uh, live at peace and not fight with one another, they rejected him. Think of what that does to your psyche. He was exiled as a fugitive. He survived as a refugee. I mean, is there any doubt or any question why Moses would ask the question, Who am I? Who am I? So I don't know everybody here, and I know some of your spiritual journeys, but I don't know really your heart journey. But we just tapped into areas that are just as relevant as today's news, right? I mean, just that relevant, all these ideas. And sometimes when we think, maybe put ourselves in in Moses' sandals and really think through maybe project that or or take that and apply it to today's struggles, whether that's immigration, whether that's refugee, whether that's uh, sexual trafficking. You, you start realizing that this does something to the inside of who you are. And just the fact that we're born sinners, alienated from the God who created us and has a purpose for our lives, make us ask the question, who Am I? And I am telling you that this present generation is struggling with their identity. And you're not going to find it through social media. You're not going to find it through digital uh, FaceTime uh, with just digital projects. You're going to have to have an encounter with the I Am God. That's where we find our identity. That's where Moses said, when he asked Who am I? God answered by saying, I will be with you. Who am I, God? I will be with you. Because the question is not, the wrong question to ask is, who am I? The question to ask is, who is God? Because until you figure out who the true God is and allow Him to reveal Himself to you, you'll never understand who you are. And so that's what this this series is about. You will never be able to answer the question of who am I until you can answer the question of who is God. So let's take a look again at the spiritual journey of Moses. And to jump into it, we're not going to go to Exodus. We're going to go to Acts. So turn to Acts chapter 7. And in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, the first martyr of the church, recount basically is stoned to death. He's martyred for recounting the history of the people of Israel. And right in the middle of that, he tells us the story of Moses. And I think it's worth us looking at it. So in chapter 7, let's pick it up in verse 17. Here is Stephen telling us a short version of the story of Moses. But as the time of the promise was approaching which God had assured to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt. 400 years earlier, God had promised, your people, I'm going to make of you a great nation, but I'm going to do it by letting them go down into Egypt, and there they're going to survive, and and they're going to thrive, even though they're going to suffer oppression and be put into bondage. 
And so that time is coming. Verse 18, until there arose another king over Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. It was he who took shrewd advantage of our race and mistreated our fathers so that they would expose their infants and they would not survive. It was at this time when baby boys were being... uh, Genocide was taking place. It was at this time that Moses was born and he was lovely in the sight of God. God showed grace to Moses and he nurtured three and he was nurtured three months in his father's home. And after he had been set outside, that is thrown into the Nile in an ark to perhaps save save him. Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him. As her own son. So here he is being nurtured by two mothers. Birth mother, adopted mother. And Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians. And he was a man of power in words and deeds. That word power means influence. He was a leader. He was a natural born leader. But when he was approaching the age of 40, he's coming here to this turning point. When he approached the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. So if you watch the movie, The Ten Commandments, the whole first portion of that plot is built on him not knowing who he was. And that's not true. That's not true. In reality, he knew he was uh, born of a Hebrew. And he knew that those, those who were enslaved were his people. So at the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him. And he took vengeance for the impression by striking down the Egyptian, which you did not do. That was capital penalty, capital punishment. And he supposed, now here's the key, verse 25, and he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. So here's another different aspect that if you're if you just follow Exodus you think oh he's wandering around in the wilderness asking who am I or and that's when he figures out that he's a deliverer but in fact he knew he had that passion he had that drive to deliver and he thought everybody would just accept him as a leader you ever try to lead and think man I, I I'm a leader they'll they'll see it they'll see me for what they you ever had that yeah it's a fun experience when they say Who put you in charge? Who died and put you in charge? So that's basically what they said. He supposed they understood, but they did not understand. On the following day, he appeared to them as they were fighting together, and he tried to reconcile them in peace, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you injure one another? But the one who was injuring his neighbor pushed him away. Wow, pushed an Egyptian. Who made you a ruler and judge over us? This is what he's going to learn in the wilderness. That we don't make ourselves, but God makes us who we are. Okay? And so in verse 28, you do not mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday, do you? Whoops. At this remark, Moses fled and became an alien, a stranger, a refugee in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. 
After 40 years had passed, 40 years in the wilderness, we're coming to the second turning point. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of a burning thorn bush. But when Moses saw that saw it, he marveled at the sight, and as he approached to look more closely, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Moses shook with fear and would not venture to look. But the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. In other words, come near, but come near with a fear. I am holy, but I want you a relationship with you. I have certainly seen the impression of my people in Egypt, and I have heard their groans, and I have come down to rescue them. You can circle that word, rescue. That's what uh, the book of Exodus is about, the God who rescues and redeems. Come now, and I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they disowned, saying, Who made you ruler and judge, is the one whom God sent to be both a ruler and a deliverer with the help of the angel who appeared to him in the thorn bush. And let me just say, as a side, that is the angel of the Lord. And uh, we've taught on this before down here in our class. I believe that is a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus Christ in, before he became incarnate. That is the angel of the Lord. Uh, nine times out of ten in the Old Testament is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This man led them out performing wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. Now we're down here, the 40 years of leading them through the wilderness. This is the Moses who said to the sons of Israel, God will raise you up for you a prophet like me, from your brethren. Moses, everything Moses does in his life is pointing, pointing to the coming prophet, the coming priest, the coming king, Jesus Christ, though he does not know it yet. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai and who was with our fathers and he received living oracles to pass on to you. That's the Ten Commandments. Our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to him but repudiated him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. You see, you can... Hang with the people of God, but your heart can still be in the world. You can be here at church today with the people of God. You might even have been water baptized. You may have made a profession of faith, but in your heart, you're still in Egypt. And they said to Aaron, make for us a God who will go before us. For this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what happened to him. And at that time, they made a calf and brought a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands and not in the God who had created them. But God turned away and delivered them up to serve the host of heaven. And it is written in the book of the prophets, It was not to me that you offered victims and sacrifice 40 years in the wilderness, was it, O house of Israel? 
You also took along the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of the god of Rapha, the images which you made to worship them. I also will remove you beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of testimony in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern which he had seen. And that verse 44 brings us right to the end of the book of Exodus where the tabernacle was made in God's glory. So there's an overview of his life. So let's go back over the the three aspects of his life. And I want to show you this time, what was God doing in Moses' life? And I hope that you'll see a pattern or begin to ask the question, what is God doing in my life to answer the question, Who am I, or better, who is God to me personally? So let's take a look. The first 40 years, the first 40 years of Moses' life were years of privilege in Egypt as a prince of Egypt. He lived a privileged life. A lot of talk about being privileged. And uh, and people who are privileged aren't aware that they're privileged. And they need to be told they're privileged. Well, Moses had that kind of life. Forty years of privilege in Egypt as a prince. And I want to give you four privileges that he enjoyed. Here's four privileges that he enjoyed. Number one was the privilege of his rescue. The privilege of his rescue. God providentially cared and rescued Moses when baby boys were being killed by the day, thrown into Egypt. But God, by His grace, showed privilege and gave privilege to Moses by rescuing him out of the water. And please understand, you got to understand this. In rescuing Moses, God was fulfilling a far greater plan. So, This is where we get into trouble. When we think God is like focused on us, you know, and so when we think God is focused on us, we try to make sense of every valley and mountaintop in our lives. And it doesn't make sense because our perspective is, uh, you know, God must be doing this to make my short little life happy. And if I can't make sense of that, then God doesn't know what he's doing and I can't trust him. But you got to understand, Moses' rescue was a part of an eternal plan that had been set in motion 400 years earlier. And it's bigger than Moses. It had to do with the whole people of Israel. And in fact, it had to do with me and you and the nations of saving a people for God out of the nations. And Moses was just a small part of that, an important part, a person that God cared about. So here's what I'm trying to say to you this morning. Whatever you're, whether you're in a valley or a mountaintop right now in your life, you're not going to be able to make sense of this until we get in the presence of God for all of eternity and realize, oh, that was the part I was playing. Oh, that valley now makes sense because as painful as that was, God was working His purposes through me and my valley. Isn't that important? That's true whether it's at work. That's true whether it's it's family problems. That's true no matter what you're going through. God is fulfilling. So He had this rescue. Number two, He had the privilege of royalty. His royalty. This guy lived in the house 
of the most powerful family on the planet at that time. And he had the royalty of being adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, but nursed by his birth mother. So he had this this two-world thing going on, the best of two worlds, so to speak. But he had all this power, all this wealth. Third, he had resources. He was privileged to have resources. Moses received some of the best education available in the world at this time. And he learned how to write. He learned how to read. I mean, Egyptian Egyptian skill in writing at this time, the papyri and all these riches. Well, guess what? Who ends up writing the first five books of the Old Testament? Moses. Where do you think he got that skill? Not the not what to write. God inspired him and told him what to write. But where did he get that natural skill? Where did he get that ability to write and to bring all these things together? Guess what? God used that time in Egypt. So he had these resources. The third the fourth thing that Moses had was his role. He had this unique role and calling on his life. He had a passion to help his people and deliver them from oppression. And so he had this role. Sometimes we talk about spiritual gifts. And I think when we're born again, everybody gets at least one spiritual gift. But I think often that gift is matched up with gifts that you already had from the day you were born. Okay, there's there's aspects in my personality of being uh, uh, having the gift of teaching that were still there even before I was saved. And so he had this desire to be a leader and a deliverer, but he hadn't yet had this encounter with the I am God. And and so I think there's a lot of people. Both unsaved and saved who have a strong sense of purpose and destiny and calling, but they're frustrated because either they don't know God at all, or if they know Him, they haven't taken their shoes off and submitted their lives. Because listen, God puts things in there and He wants you. He wants to fulfill them in you, but you've got to have a relationship with Him. You've got to, you've got to submit yourself. You've got to be humbled in order to then be obedient for God to fulfill that in you. So he had these privileges. The result of having a lot of privileges and not having a a strong relationship with God is is that you become proud and self-sufficient. Moses said, you know what? I'm large and in charge here. I know I'm a Hebrew. I want to deliver my people. Everybody knows it. So I'll kill an Egyptian when I want to. And I'll try to get these two Hebrew guys, my brothers, in, in my brother, my fellow brothers. I want to get them to have peace. And everybody's going to understand what God's doing because I understand it. And you know what happened? He made enemies in Egypt and he lost the respect of the people of God. So here's this guy driven into exile. He's a fugitive. He's now a refugee among a people that are are not his own, the Midianites. And he's asking the question, who am I? How did this happen? 
Have you had that kind of experience in your life where you kind of have a sense of what God wants you to do and you try to do it and you fall flat on your face and uh, unsaved people are saying, what are you doing? And saved people are saying, what are you doing? And you're saying, what am I doing? Have you had that in your own life? Hey, good news is God's still working. God's still working. And so we go from the first 40 years to the next 40 years of being on the backside of the desert. It will humble your heart, but you are prepared for a personal encounter. So here's the second 40 years. 40 years of preparation. So 40 years of privilege brought pride and self-sufficiency. But 40 years of preparation, 40 years in the desert wilderness, brought preparation in the wilderness as a shepherd. God, Listen, Moses had everything the world could offer him, but that it ta- that's not enough to serve God. He had everything the world could offer him, but that's not what it takes to be used of God. It takes a heart that God prepares. So here's how he prepared him. Number one, in the shepherd, in, as a shepherd in the wilderness, Moses learned empathy. Empathy. He learned to see things from the perspective of others. Moses tried to lead from the top down for the right purpose. I'm going to... I'm going to end the oppression of the Egyptians and I'm going to deliver my people. But he tried to do it from the top down. He did it for the right purpose, but not with the right power. He didn't have the right perspective. And most importantly, he didn't have the right person in his life, the I am God. So he he tried to do it in in his own power. And when God stripped him of his privileges, his power and his position... All those things, listen, power, privilege, and position, position, not only make you proud, but it gives you a false sense of security. It gives you a false sense of status. It gives you a false sense of significance. He was putting his identity in the things around him. Well, what happens when the things around you are taken away? What do you ask? Who am I? Who am I? See, you put your identity in your job, but when you lose your job, what happens to your status, your significance, your security? All of a sudden, your job's gone, and you're like, who am I? You put your status in your kids. Well, college time, right? Terry, they're leaving, right? We just dropped off Amber. Uh, second year was harder dropping her off than the first year. The first year it was like, go. <laughs> you will be happier, we will be happier. Go. Well, the second year, she's been all here all summer, just hanging loose and reconnecting. And now it's like, oh, this is tearing our hearts out. But you know what? If you find your status, your significance, and your security in your kids, then what happens when they rebel? Or even if they don't rebel, what happens when they just get married? And you know, and that guy that they married doesn't understand that they need to live by you. Right? 
Or that, that, that guy marries a girl and she says, hey, we ought to go over here and off they go. So there's a lot of things we can put our status and significance in. But there's only one thing that you can put it in that can never be taken from you. And that is the I am God. Okay? And so he's learning this. He learned to empathize with those who are abused and exploited, partly by suffering the consequences of his own bad choices. God will use your own bad choices to build empathy for lost people. Because you can say, I've been there. I've done that. But he also learned empathy by being obedient and choosing to identify with God's people than the world. And when you do that, (coughs) you're going to suffer loss. When you identify with God's people, increasingly in our culture, you're going to suffer loss, and you're going to learn what it is to give up and to lose, and to live as an alien. The reason we as Christians ought to have empathy for refugees and immigrants is, and and, and I'm not talking politics, get rid of the politics, forget the politics, just understand that we ought to have a heart for immigrants and refugees because we are immigrants of the kingdom of God. We are refugees in exile looking for the kingdom that has not yet come. So we ought to have some empathy, right? Well, maybe not. Should we have some empathy? Yeah, we should have some empathy. Not, don't, quit, don't let the world politicize We can talk politics, and I have firm beliefs on that, and I'm sure you do too, and maybe we would disagree, maybe we would agree. We can talk politics. We're just talking about empathy for people. Are you with me? Second thing he learned was humility, because you'll never have empathy without humility, and that's part of the problem that's going on in our country. Even among Christians, we're a proud, puffed-up people. And you say, well, you know, the reason I'm proud is because I know my position's right. Well, that's the problem. Yeah, but I know my position's right because I push against what's, you know, I push against what's, uh, what's conservative. Or I know I'm right because I push against what's liberal. But the reality is, when you're out here on the backside of the desert, he needed to learn. Where's my blue pen? He needed to learn humility. Because you see... The struggles that are going on in our country right now, a lot of people think they have the answer. And in their pride, they want to solve things in their own wisdom, in their own power. And all that does is alienate, cause resentment, and cause separation. Exactly what Moses did. Moses Moses was a social justice warrior in Egypt. And where did that get him? As a person of God, it got him in the backside of the desert. Because ultimately, we're not social justice warriors or whatever else, whatever the opposite of that is. We are people of God. We are servants of God. And we need to humble ourselves and say, God, what are you calling your people to do in this culture to make a difference for your kingdom. And it's far different than what you're going to hear at the news. It's far different than what you're going to hear at work. It's far different than what your kids are being taught at school. 
whether they're being taught by Christians or otherwise. You're going to have to, we have to figure this out by meeting with the I am God. Amen? Okay, I'm kind of, that's enough of that. Here's the deal. Pride comes before a fall, always, even those who are called by God to do great things. He went from being a big shot in Egypt to a no-name in the wilderness. He went from being something to a nothing. He went from being royalty to a refugee. He went from being at the center of the world to the backside of the desert. And when God takes you to that, the third thing you learn is dependency. To Dependency. You see how these all go together? As you suffer, you learn empathy. And, and as you suffer and learn empathy, you learn humility. And in humility, you begin to say, God, this isn't about who I am. It's about who you are. This isn't about what I can do. is isn't about what I want to do. It's about what you are doing. And that's what he learned. The result is he is humble and God-dependent. Went from proud and self-sufficient to humble and God-dependent. That brings us to the, to the next result. And by the way, Numbers 12.3 says this, Now the man Moses was very humble more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Took 80 years. Took 80 years. But it happened. And you know what? It may take my life, may take your life, but God's going to achieve His purposes in your life. Is that good? So if you're in a valley, don't quit. If you're on a mountaintop right now, don't be proud. Third, 40 years of purpose. 40 years of purpose on mission as a prophet. Now this is interesting. And I'm going to give these to you quick. Moses' mission pointed to the coming of Jesus who is greater than Moses, and fulfilled all that was promised in the Old Testament. So here's what I'm going to give you. These 40 years, it took 80 years, but in these 40 years, Moses fulfills at least four roles. And we've kind of seen them already in what we've read, but I want you to see that both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, everything that Moses was, Jesus was that much more. Okay? And so, the whole point is, for Israel, they were supposed to not worship Moses, but the one Moses pointed to. And that did not... That's why Stephen got stoned. Stephen saying, hey, let me tell you the history of us. We rebel against God and against His purposes and against His leaders, and now we've done it in a really bad way, because the one to whom everybody was pointing, we crucified him. And what did, what did Stephen get for that little sermon? He got what? He got rocked, didn't he? He got stoned. Remember? That's going to, you know, living for God doesn't mean it's all going to be easy. So here's the four things that he was. Moses on mission. He was a prophet of God. He was a prophet of God. But Moses himself in Deuteronomy said, God's going to raise up among you a greater prophet, Jesus Christ. Okay, He didn't know it was Jesus, but that's who it was. Number two, a mediator of the Old Covenant. 
So he was a prophet of God. Jesus becomes a greater prophet because he is the word of God. He's a mediator of the old covenant, the Ten Commandments, the law. Jesus is a mediator of the new covenant. uh, Moses established the priesthood and the Passover and the Lamb of God. Jesus comes and says, I am the Lamb of God and gives his own life and is our great high priest. Moses, of course, was a deliverer of of God's people out of Egypt. But Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and He delivers a people out of all nations to be His people. And finally, Moses was a leader. He he did become a ruler, but it was a shepherd ruler, a servant leader. And of course, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And what happens in Moses' life is Moses did all that the Lord commanded him. Moses became a servant leader. God would say, my servant, Moses. My servant, Moses. Moses talked to God face to face. He was a, like Abraham. He was a friend of God. So here's, here we are. In the end, Moses' entire spiritual journey, every valley, every mountaintop, was all a part of God's providential plan to redeem God's people through Jesus Christ, okay? And ultimately, that's the purpose of your life. God's using everything in your life so that you can be a servant of God and be part, play your part in this plan to call a people out. More than likely, Pauline's at the end of her life. She did her part in China. We have done our part in supporting her, praying for her, giving to her. But who's going to take her place? Who's going to take your place? And if people follow in your footsteps, what are they going to end up doing with their lives? Where are you leading the people who are following you? So here's what we do. We'll never be able to answer the question of who am I until you can answer the question, who is God? Now, a couple questions. First of all, where are you personally on your spiritual journey? We just mapped... How would you like... For your lot, your spiritual journey to be recorded in Scripture, and everybody's reading it. <laughs> no. But you know what? It is recorded in heaven. And someday, before the judgment seat of God, it's going to be played out. So what would it, so you might as well start writing it out now. So what would your what segments? What would be your turning points? And it basically comes down to this: everybody has a past. Before they encounter the I am God, everybody has a pivot where there's a turning point where you encounter God, the burning bush, and everybody has a present on how God is working in your life, or you even could call it your purpose. Okay? Everybody has that. That's basically basically your testimony. That's your spiritual journey. Can you tell something? Have you ever written that out? And if you have, a lot of you in this room have, you've been trained, equipped. When's the last time you shared your spiritual journey with somebody? When's the last time you shared it? Even with your spouse, with your kids, 
with a coworker. Where are you on your spiritual journey? Are you stuck in Egypt enjoying the pleasures of the world? Is this where you're at? Proud and self-sufficient? Are you in the wilderness right now, learning, being humble, learning empathy, dependency? Or are you growing in your pursuit of God? And God is fulfilling His purpose through you. Good questions to ask. Where are you personally? Secondly, how do you personally answer the question, Who am I? How do you answer that question? Who am I? And I'm telling you, identity is wrapped around three ideas. Where do you find your security? Where do you find your significance? And where do you find your status? Those three ideas, security, do I belong? Significance, do I matter? Status, am I important? I'm telling you that we all ask those questions. And you know what? We not only ask them, but we find answers to them. Security. Do I belong? Significance. Do I matter? Status. Am I important? And I can tell you, let, let you in on a secret, I'm getting older. We all are. And the older you get, the more you ask those questions. The older you get. Because like Moses, you begin to look, you look back and you ask these questions. Do I belong? Have I found my place of belonging? What, is what I did with my life important? Does it matter? Will it last? Will my children Follow God better than I do? Have I left a lasting legacy in others? Not Whether you have kids, you still have a whole church family, you still have a whole investment. What, is, what am I doing? So these are the things. Third, how do you personally answer the question, who is God? How do you personally answer the question, who is God? Here's the good news. Moses eventually found his security in being rescued by the I am God. Moses was able to say, do I belong? Yes, I'm a child of God. And in a deepening relationship with God through his wilderness experience. It was in the valley that he deepened his relationship. Is that what's happening in your valley? Two, Moses eventually found his significance in fulfilling the role and the responsibilities the I am God gave him. His significance came when he began to fulfill the role that God had given him in God's power and for God's glory. And then third, Moses eventually found his status in being the person, the I am God had called him to be. Boy, isn't that good? Isn't that good? Man, I just I, I just saved you hours of therapy. I, God just revealed to you wisdom from above 
that the world spends thousands of dollars to figure out. And you know what? After those thousands of dollars, if they haven't helped you encounter the I am God, all that money went down the toilet. Because in the end, here's what we want to answer. Who am I? I hope that each of you can answer this question. I am a person who was rescued by the I am God to be on mission with Him for the joy of all peoples. That's what we're going to see for the next three weeks. Okay, that's what... And and we're just now getting to what we shared at camp. So if you're thinking, wow, did you share all this with those kids? No, this is just... You get the extra stuff, okay? So next week is where we kind of encounter the revelation of God Himself. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. If you have questions, I'm always available. And... uh, We would love to help you have a relationship with the God of Moses, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Father, we come before you in the name of the greatest prophet, the great high priest, and the king of kings, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that you're working out your purposes, even though it's crazy down here. And yet you're not just up there distant watching and observing. You've come down to rescue us. You've come down to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You have come down so that we might fulfill our role, our purpose, so that we could find security in being children of God, that we can find significance in doing Your will, not our will that we can have our status and know that we are important because we are the firstborn of the Creator. And Jesus is our elder brother. We belong. We are not of this world. And yet, Lord, you've put us here like Moses to fulfill a purpose. I pray for each person here. It's not by accident anyone was here. And I pray, Lord, that each of us will encounter the I am God, that we'll each have that burning bush experience, that we'll each have that encounter and find the answer to the question, who am I, in understanding who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.